Let me ask you a, a question this morning. What do you fear? What do you fear? Uh, fear is something that is uh, coming out quite often in our, our news at the moment. But what do you fear? What are you, what are you worried about? What are you anxious about? Uh, but I think fear is a, another level altogether, isn't it? What do you fear? I turned on the news uh, the other day and I uh, just happened to catch a glimpse of, uh, of this speech. And um, uh, this was uh, the, the Labour leader and, uh, and he said this. You can tell me afterwards whether it's, uh, it's accurate or not. And he said this, in, in 1900, in the, in the 1900s, the, the average British person expected to live to the age of 48. Today, average life expectancy is, is 80. The number of people aged 65 and over in this country is growing three times faster than the number aged under 65. This is both a wonderful achievement and the biggest test in the history of the NHS. No society in human history has been as old as our modern nations. Small politics will no longer do. I want Britain to be the healthiest nation on earth. I don't know what you make of, of that. I, I don't know how accurate the the numbers are, perhaps you can uh, tell me afterwards, but, but what do you fear? It's almost like this, if, uh, if the average age expectancy was 48 uh, over 100 years ago, but now uh, that the average life expectancy is 80, then th there's just a lot more t years in your life to fear more things. And in one sense, that's true, isn't it? we do worry a lot about a lot of things and uh, and as the age goes higher there are other things that we fear maybe it's the same in your case where you have mums and dads call you up and say look can you fix this for me or i'm worried about this as they get older we all whatever age we are have fears we all have things that we are concerned about what do you worry about? In Luke's gospel, um, the disciples were worried. They were fearful. They were worried about people who would persecute them. But Jesus says something really striking to them. And if you forget anything that I'm going to say this morning in the next 20 minutes, then remember this. He says in Luke chapter 12, verse 5, he says this, But I warn you whom? to fear not what to fear but who to fear but i warn you whom to fear fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell yes i tell you fear him jesus is saying look it's not about fearing what people can do or what things can do to you fear God and fear what he can do after your life ends for God has authority over your life and eternity to fear him as we live healthier in one sense and longer so the numbers so to speak 
God says through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, we're to fear him. Psalm 90 reminds us about the the quickness of life. This is what Psalm 90 says. The years of our life are 70 or even by the reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90 says, teach us that our days are numbered and and that we would know the mind of God, that we would have wisdom. This parable, it's for for everyone. It's for everyone here in this room. It's for everyone listening online. It's for you whether you're a Christian or not. And, And it reminds us that when we fear God, that's the beginning of listening. When we fear God, that's the beginning of listening. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we fear God, when we truly have an understanding of of who he is, that's the beginning of listening. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of what it means to live a life now and forever. A man comes to see Jesus in this this account in Luke chapter 12. He comes and he says in verse 13, "Um, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. A man comes who's worried about his inheritance, who's, who's fearing about his inheritance. He's going to lose it. And he comes to Jesus and he says, do this for me. I want you to do this for me. I want you to go and tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I get that all the time. Dad, can you tell him to give me my share of Pokemon cards? Okay, do this for me. Okay. That's what he's saying. Do this for me. Let me ask you, what what would you like to be done for you? What are you worried about? What are you fearing? What are you anxious about? What would you like to be done for you? What do you want God to do for you? Because when Jesus is with this man, he's simply saying, listen, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Beware. Beware. Be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness, because for one's life does not exist or consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus is saying, I know you want me to do this for you, but, but I'm not going to comply. I, I'm not going to do it. There, there's somebody else you can go to. You can go to the rabbi, you can go down the road and see the local rabbi, and he'll sort that out for you. That's his job, but that's not what I'm going to do for you. I haven't come here for that job. I've come here for something far more important, far more critical, far more necessary. I've come here to tell you about eternity, about how you can live a life now and forever. You see, in our world, we we all have many fears and problems, don't we? And I was speaking to somebody, I say, well, your fears and your problems, your anxiety are probably different from country to country. And from culture to culture, and one culture will, very, will differ very widely in their, in their view of what is really important compared to this one. But you see, Jesus, 
He's saying he wasn't there for that. He wasn't there to, to tell this man's brother about how he could have this inheritance. He wasn't there for that. And in one sense, I'd say it like this, that church is not here for that either. Church is not a form of therapy where we, where we come and we, we make ourselves feel better or to solve our, our, our social problems. Church is not here for that. Yes, there are problems. Yes, there are issues. And yes, there are plenty of professions and plenty of people that can deal with those things. And we can't cover the subject in its entirety. But with Jesus, you can find help that you cannot find anywhere else. That's what Jesus is trying to say. If you come to me, you've come to me and I can help you with this that you can't find anywhere else. Fear him who has the power after death. And this is Jesus we're talking about. The one whom the Bible says came into this world and he lived the life that you and I could never live and he was put to death on a cross and three days later he was raised to life. And he alone has the power over death and we're meant to fear him. But you see, my friends, there can be many, many distractions. There can be many distractions this morning where, where, where we're thinking, well, yes, Jesus is the only one, but you know, I, I've got all these other things that I've got to take care of. Well, Jesus tells this parable. And in this parable, he's, he's saying to this man, he's saying to the crowd, and as, as we are looking 2,000 years later on into this passage of Scripture, we're, we're reminded that, that we need to be mindful of our heart. We need to be mindful of our heart. He's telling the people there, be careful of, of greed. Be careful of, uh, of, of covetousness, of, of wanting things that actually are not going to last. Be careful of your greed. Be mindful of your heart. Be careful of your greed. Be aware of it. Now, now that's not always obvious, is it? Whether we're living a life that's full of greed, it's not always obvious. There was, a, there was another man in the Bible, and it wasn't obvious to him. He was a rich person. There was a rich person, and he had all the money. He had all the wealth. He had all the riches. And, and he came to Jesus because he knew who Jesus was. And he knew that Jesus had the power over life and death. And he came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, let me tell me what must I do to inherit eternal life? He knew he was coming to the right person. And Jesus told him the answer. He said, if you want to have eternal life, do you know what? Sell everything that you have and then come follow me. Yeah, the answer, sell everything you've got and then come follow me. The most important thing was to follow Jesus. But you see, he wasn't willing to sell everything he had. He wasn't willing to give it up. And Jesus was identifying his greed. Sometimes we're, we're not aware, it's not so obvious, is it, of the things that our heart is obsessed by. And Jesus is saying, be mindful of your heart. Look closely at your heart to see what is it that you really want. I used to be, uh, I used to be a smoker. I don't know how many of you used to smoke or still smoke. I used to be a smoker. I used to smoke 40 a day back in, you know, 20 odd years ago. And, uh, but that wasn't my first, that wasn't my first time of smoking. My first time of smoking Okay, I'm sorry, mum and dad. Was it six? Okay, was it six? This is what happened. 
I was at school in Abergavenny. I don't know if the school still exists. I was at school in Abergavenny. Don't do this, by the way. Um, they go to school in Abergavenny, my children, okay? I found a pack of cigars. I found a whole pack of cigars. I don't know if I've told you the story before. I found a whole pack of cigars. I was six years old. I found a whole pack of cigars. I had no idea they were cigars, but they looked really cool. So I thought, well, I'm going to take them home. And I was at school, so I stuffed this whole pack of cigars in my inside jacket pocket. Did my zip up. Can you imagine a six-year-old boy with this massive bulge on his jacket? And the teacher stopped me and said, what is that in your pocket? And at six years old, I had to open my zipper and show I had a pack of cigars. And I'm sure she accused me of smoking at six years old. She called my parents into the office. I had no idea I was carrying a pack of cigars. But you see, to everyone else, it was so obvious. It was so obvious that I was carrying something that I shouldn't have been carrying. It was so utterly obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me. And you know the shocker of this story, it's so obvious what's in front of you, isn't it? Is that there's this man and he's coming to, to this Jesus and he's saying to this Jesus, listen, can you, can you tell my brother to, to, to give me the share of, of, of the money? When actually it should have been much more obvious what Jesus was capable of doing. You see, in Luke's gospel, we find that Jesus is able to heal people. He's able to... To, to, to make the blind see, he's made to, able to hear the deaf hear, he's able to make the lame walk, he's able to do all sorts of wonderful things beyond even money, and, and yet this man is coming to Jesus and asking him for something that is not going to last. It's like going into a shop and saying to your children or to your grandchildren, um, listen, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy you a treat, and and, and you say, I'm going to buy you a treat. What would you like? And you know what they do? They go to the, the worst section of the shop possible. They go to the magazine section, don't they? And those magazine sections, they give away those free toys. That they're, they're, and they're utterly useless, aren't they? Utterly useless, aren't they? You take them home and within five minutes they're broken or they're lost. They're utterly useless. Don't go buying them. They're pointless. And it should have been so obvious to him that he's meeting with Jesus the one who God had sent. And yet his heart, his heart didn't get it. His heart didn't get it that he wanted something that was not going to last. Listen to what Jeremiah 17 says about your heart. This is about your heart, this is about my heart. And it says this about your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's like me while I'm standing in front of the head teacher and she's saying, what are you hiding behind your jacket? And there's this big bolting pack of cigars and I'm saying to her, nothing. The heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah 17 says, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Like a partridge 
that hatches eggs it did not lay are those who gain riches by unjust means. When their lives are half gone, their riches will desert them. And in the end, they will prove to be fools. The heart is deceitful above all things. And God will prove it in the end. What does life, what does life consist of? How would you, how would you answer that question? What does life consist of? Verse 15, as he says to him, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. Beware of your heart, be mindful of your heart. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. How would you answer that question? What does life consist of? The giveaway for this man was this question. What's the giveaway for, for, for your life? What does your life consist of? The giveaway for me at six years old, well, it was there staring at the head teacher's face. It was really, really obvious. What does your life consist of? Remember that TV show? Um, remember that TV show, Lloyd, Lloyd Grossman, Look Through the Keyhole? Do you remember that TV show? Look Through the Keyhole. I can't do his accent. But who lives in a house like this? And apparently he never knew who lived in a house like this. He would look through the keyhole, he'd open the door and, he, and he'd go in and, and the person whose house was would be on, on, on one side and he'd be in the house and the person whose house would be, be laughing because Lloyd Grossman would be going into this house and he'd be, he'd be talking about the, the colour of the walls, he'd be talking about uh, what was in the rooms and what was on the what this person loved and what this person was obsessed by. And this person would be, we were laughing, thinking, have, has Lloyd Grossman guessed it right? Who lives in a house like this? And if somebody came and looked through your keyhole of your house and came into your house and was able to look at everything that you had on your walls, in your drawers, in your trinkets, in your garage, what does your life consist of? The Lord Jesus Christ says, be mindful of your hearts, because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And you might say to me, Paul, well, you know, I, I'm not interested in possessions. But actually, your heart might be interested in something different altogether. You might be obsessed with sports, but not possessions. You might be obsessed with career, but not possessions. You might be obsessed with your family, but not possessions. You might be obsessed with your health, not possessions. But Jesus is saying, be mindful of your heart. The life does not consist in all those things. It's something different altogether. Be mindful of your heart. Be careful about making assumptions. He tells this story. It's an incredible story. It's just a simple story. It, it, parables are just tools that where, we, where we can understand the mind of, of God. And the mind of God is so important because God does not deceive. God does not have a heart like ours which deceives us and we, we persuade ourselves that we really need this when actually we don't. And the farmer has deceived himself into thinking that he has this and he needs this and it will make him safe. The story is this, really simple. 
He's a rich man. He's got a farm. He's got lots of crops and he's had a, a bumper year and he's got so many crops that he just says, well, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear down these barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. And there I'm going to store everything. And then I'm going to put my feet up and I'm going to take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. The farmer has deceived himself. He's, he's removed God out of the equation altogether. He's removed God so far out that God is not even on his thinking. He's not even on his radar. And, and that we know that God is not on his radar because in verse 18 and, and from verse 17 onwards, he's simply saying, he thinks to himself. He says, I'll do this. I will do this. And I will store. I will tear. I will store. I will say to my soul, I will do this. And I will have many years. And I will be fine. You see, these parables expose the mind of God. And in this parable, we see this man is not even thinking about God. He's just thinking about himself. Now, listen, if, if there was no God, if there was no God, then this is perfectly fair enough, isn't it? To do your best and to Make yourself as secure as you can be for this life if there was no God. But that's an artificial question because it's not real. The Bible says that we have a creator God who made us. And one day, all of us will meet with him. If God were not in the equation, it'd be fair enough, but we do have a God. We, we don't live in this closed system where there is no God, where we make independent decisions as if God was not there. We don't live in that kind of closed system. We live in this universe with God who is the author of life. We're, we're proposed, we're confronted with closed systems all the time. We're sold goods as if they, they're in this closed system. You, you buy anything online these days. It has this description, doesn't it? You buy anything online, it has a description. It tells you about this product that you're going to buy. It says, it does this, it does this, it does this, it does this. It's all part of a closed system. It's all tested in a, in a factory somewhere or in a closed system. But when you buy this thing and it eventually gets into your hands or into your house, you realise that actually it's not as accurate as it was described. It was all tested in this closed environment. It said that it would give you this and it would achieve this. But when it's, when it's out in the open, when it's, when it's part of real life, actually, it's not all it seems to be. We, we had new internet the other day. It, we were told that it was going to do this wonderful thing and we're gonna have, we were able to do this with it and this with it and it would be this fast and we thought it was going to be amazing. And the guys came and they put it in. I'm not going to tell you their name because we're live on, on YouTube. But they came in and, I, and I, I switched it on and it was absolutely Hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. Yes, it was fast. Yes, it was quick. But it cut out every 10 minutes. It was absolutely useless. What's the point in having this wonderful thing if it doesn't work? It's like buying an electric car that only goes 10 miles down the road, but you need it to go much further. It's no good at all if it doesn't work 
And here is this man and he's trying to live life without God and it doesn't work. Because God is the author of life and we're accountable to him. And as verse 19 comes and he says, I'll say to my soul, you have ample goods for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. Jesus is saying, be careful about making assumptions. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. My friends, we can't live taking God out of the equation. Because in him, we live and have our being. And there is no life without him. We're to be mindful. We're to be uh, aware. And, and, and finally, we're to be fully conscious about eternity to come. Here in this story, as, as it ends, Jesus says, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is it with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This man was totally unprepared. And it's just a made-up story, but he's speaking to the guy who comes to him and says, can you do this for me? Can you tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me? He's telling the story for his benefit and for all the crowd that's around him, and he's telling it for your benefit as well. He's saying, be fully conscious of the eternity to come. My friends, you can listen to politicians say about the promises, about the, the prospects, but there is one categorical truth that is there in the Bible. Man is destined to live once and then face God. He's destined to, to live and die and then face God. And here, this man, he just was totally, totally unprepared. When uh, we go to France and um, we go camping to France, to the south of France, and uh, uh, my wife persuaded me that camping on the south of France is great because you, could, you can go off and, uh, and do all sorts of, all sorts of things. And, uh, and she said, uh, one of the great things is Elijah likes Formula One. So he said, what, what we can do, if we, if we camp in the right place in the south of France, we can go to Monaco. And we go to Monaco. Monaco's fabulous, you know, if you're Mon the Monaco Grand Prix. And we can go there on free practice day where you don't have to pay at all. So I remember this year, the children were little, and they might not remember this. But this is what happened. We drove down to Monaco. It was free practice. Didn't have to pay anything. And, and the twins were little. And me and Sean had, had little rucksacks. And we had put the twins on our back. And uh, I went to Monaco. I was super grumpy that day. And the reason why I was super grumpy was this. I wore all black. So I wore a black top and black shorts. Little did I realize that in the south of France, it gets really, really hot. I'd, uh, I planned to take the car and park it in a car park. Little did I know that the car park that we parked in Monaco was really far away from the racetrack. So as I was wearing this black top and this black shorts and with, with children on my back walking from the, the car park down to the track, I was getting really, really hot. And when you get really, really hot, you start getting really, really bothered. And then we made it to the racetrack. And by then, the twins were all getting a bit hot and bothered too. 
And I thought in my ideal dreams that I would go to Monaco and I'd have these two-year-old twins sitting in the rucksack, eating their raisins, watching these Formula One cars going off into the distance, and it would be wonderful. I'd forgot how loud Formula One cars are. They're loud. We took ear defenders, we put it on the kids. By now, the kids were cranky and they were pulling the ear defenders off. By now, they weren't interested in raisins or chocolates. And they were in the crowds and they were throwing their raisins over all the spectators. They were sitting in their cradle on the back, but they were so fed up, they started rocking the cradles. I was there in Monaco, the prized possessions of the F1 calendar, and my kids were going crazy. I was fed up. And then the Red Cross turned up and says, I think you better leave. They could see it was not going well because I was totally unprepared. Totally unprepared. And my day out was an absolute misery. I did get it right the year after, just about. But it was miserable because I was totally unprepared. And my friends, the end of the story is this. It ended up being absolutely miserable because he was totally unprepared. He wasn't fully conscious about eternity to come. And my friends, there is the reality of heaven and hell. And my friends, hell is real. And if we are not prepared by putting our trust in Jesus and not in our abundance of this or that my friends it's not just miserable it's going to be something different altogether and hell is real and we'll be conscious there and it will be for eternity and Jesus warns us and repeatedly warns us that it is not worth going there and that is why he says be warned. Be on your guard. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by your heart. Don't make assumptions that you're going to live for the next 10, 20 or 30 years because you live in a country that's got a really good healthcare system. Don't fall asleep thinking that you can go and, 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 and enjoy your life and play golf and retire and not be conscious about eternity to come. And he says elsewhere in the Gospels, what good is it if you gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? My friends, what do you fear? It's a question not of what do you fear, but who do you need to fear? And Jesus says, fear him. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And if you fear him, if you fear him and understand that Jesus wants the best for you, then actually as we come to communion, you're going to find that, that he died for you. Because of your greed, of the things you're obsessed with, the things that you fill your life with. And he died for you even though you're a sinner. And, and he says that actually you can still put it right. You can say sorry for the things that you're obsessed by. And you can come to him before it's too late and you come to the foot of the cross and you can say sorry to him. You can turn your life, 
in his strength and his power and you can begin following him today. Why not do that? Why not do that today and come to the Lord Jesus Christ? And when you come to him, you will have life now and forever. And you will have difficult days, you will have miserable days, but he will be in control of your life and he will be with you and he will keep you until that day. And then when you meet with him, it will mean meeting with him in joy and you will be with him in paradise. Don't make assumptions. Don't be deceived by your heart, but be fully conscious about eternity to come.